Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Kristen Stoneking, the senior pastor here. And I'm Brian Adkins, associate pastor. Our mission here is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Michael Martin, a grateful member of Epworth. And the uh, scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. It's, um, it's a great passage, the transformation. <clears throat> uh, Peter, James, and John are, uh, uh, along with uh, Andrew, they're the longest serving apostles. And, Six days after he predicts his own death, uh, Jesus takes them up to the mountain. And, you know, in the New Testament, you go to a mountain, something's going to happen. The, uh, the Sermon on the Mount was on a mountain, of course. The healing of the lame and the sick, which took place on a mountain. So they must have known something big was going to happen. And something big happens, and faces are glowing, and, and uh, raiments are, and people are appearing from the past. So... It's a good reading. I like the uh, King James Version because it's so old, it sounds poetic. But they don't call Elijah Elijah, he's Elias. And uh, they aren't clothes, they're raiments. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up to an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter, who said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here for you three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid. And Jesus came out and touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Holy wisdom, holy words.
Well, thank you, Pastor Kristen and Pastor Brian for inviting me to be here in the pulpit this morning. It is great to be with you and see many familiar people. Lots of reverends in this place. <laughs> thank you, choir. Wow, that was beautiful, everything. Just very, very moving. There's <clears throat> a very sweet spirit in this place. Well, as Kristen shared, we've been pastor mommies for a while. And it's been said that parents may recall their own childhood experiences when their children are certain ages and go through particular stages. For me, this is true when it comes to racial ethnic self-identity. I was born Deborah Victoria Cadena, daughter of Umberto Cadena of Mexico City and Alice Strawman of Akron, Ohio. I was born in Chicago, Chicana from Chicago, perhaps, maybe. It's complicated. We moved to Mexico City when I was four years old. I went to kindergarten, I have pictures of me in a little Catholic uniform, and I wasn't Catholic, but that's what I had to wear. I lived with the extended family, the tios, the tias, the abuelos, even three half-brothers. But all of that went away when my mom and I returned to the United States after six months in Mexico. We had to leave because of our visas but we had to remain in the States because of my father's alcoholism and emotional abuse. We returned. I was about, I turned five years old, but we were not in Illinois. We were now in Florida where my grandmother lived. Within three years, my mom remarried, and within two years after that, my stepfather was able to adopt me, and my last name changed to Dow. D-O-W. But what did that mean? What did that mean for who I was and how I self-identified? My ups and downs related to the struggle weave in and out of the chapters of my life. And a huge part of it influenced by when I became a committed Christian. Was I to claim this as my identity and let go of trying to grasp my racial ethnic self-identity? Thankfully, my journey led me to great seminary experiences and new understandings of Jesus of Nazareth's own ethnic identity and cultural context. This informed my broadening perspective for a more holistic view of who I was in Christ and who I was as a Christian in a particular place at a particular time within a particular family. It was all part of the whole, not to be separated any more than we should separate the body and the spirit. My faith allowed me to trust that it was all good and to work through guilt, or shame. Basically, from five years old onward, never seeing my father or anyone on his side of the family again, I was socialized white, and only white. When there was a struggle within, I often felt like I was making much ado about nothing. 
I now had stepbrothers and a stepsister, a dad who loved me, and my mom was in a happy marriage that continues to this day. So what's the issue? People of color see me as a person of color more readily than white people do. In fact, this was very informative and helpful for me when I was in seminary. And that's where Dale and I met in Washington, DC. Now there are some people in this congregation who knew Dale before I did. And I wanted to hear the stories. <laughs> but for now, I'll tell you our story. I graduated before he did, and I pastored a mostly white congregation in Hialeah, which is in the Miami area of Florida, that unfortunately considered itself an English oasis. At that time, they had the attitude of the last American who leaves bring the flag. It was a challenging time. When Dale came to worship at my church, it was, guess who's coming to the Lord's Supper? <laughs> Dale was the only African-American in the sanctuary that day. In time, we married, and we moved to California. We had children. Dale said, our children would be Afromex. <laughs> A girl in the youth group of the church I pastored when I first moved here said, Whitesican. <laughs> when our firstborn was four years old, I wondered, if Dale were suddenly no longer in our lives, would my son no longer be African-American? Of course not. So how did this inform my life experience? Were my issues related to more than just me? <laughs> yes, of course. Race is a social construct. I spent a semester in Cuba when, in, when I was in seminary, at the seminary in Matanzas, and I would pass as a Cubana. If I were silent, my Spanish isn't that fast. But when I went to Mexico right from there, I was missing the indigenous look. So I didn't necessarily look like I was from that country, but with my gap in my life history, that was all I knew. I thought that was part of where I was from. What did I know other than what I had lived? Who else could tell me what my own experience was? Or did I just need to find my own voice and my, my own identity, my own words? Then came January 20th, 2017. Barack Hussein Obama II was inaugurated President of the United States. His father, Barack Obama Sr., was Kenyan. His mother, Ann Dunham, was from Kansas, born near the time of my mother's birth, and she looked a lot like her, white. As we watched the inauguration, we had such hope for our family. Dale cried saying he never thought he'd see the day when a black man would be president. I was grateful for this too, but I was also grateful to see that he was the first multiracial president. He was mixed, like me. 
In his case, though, it did not seem that his mother's race mattered for his identity. So does my mother's matter in mine? Does mine matter in our sons? How does the world see it all? Who decides our race, our identity? Well, through my studies and experiences, I understand more about the intersections of social class and power with all of this. And it has, at times, overwhelmed me personally, for myself and for my family. And thankfully, Dale didn't disappear from our son's lives when they were four. They are now 18 and 14. And Dale has had the talk with them about shopping, driving, or walking while black. We went through the fear of wearing hoodies when Trayvon was killed. Being mixed, their experience is different than, than Dale's, but it is also different than mine. They are black boys becoming black men living in these United States. Well, this all convinces me and compels me to engage in the world. Informed by my experiences, my studies in anthropology and theology, and my faith, which is continually being formed to inspire and sustain me. But this all also makes me want to withdraw. Tempted to let my fear, confusion, and sadness paralyze me. That's why my favorite part of the gospel story that we heard today is when Peter, up on the high mountain with James, John, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I've always interpreted this as, let's stay. <laughs> it's nice here. No one will bother us. We're far from the world. We have everything we need. But that wasn't the purpose of their mountaintop moment. As Peter was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and they heard a voice from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It is like the children's moment when we were reminded that God loves us. God was showing love to them, speaking the word that would guide them beyond any fear. Yet they responded with fear and awe, and they fell down on their faces, it says. And then Jesus came to them and touched them and told them not to be afraid. But not just, do not be afraid. Jesus said, get up. Do not be afraid. Oh, how I have had those moments of wanting to stay wherever it's safe. Turn off the TV, turn off the political ads. <laughs> and then I have to listen I was so excited when I found out that the words 
The letters, excuse me, that spell listen are the same letters that spell silent. And only when I take time to be silent and to listen am I able to go, get up, do not be afraid, and speak. Listen, silent, hear, and speak. There's a great openness that is required in our whole being to really and truly listen, to hear that voice of God, however it is known to us. And if we follow this path of Jesus, to be touched by Jesus and to hear the empowerment, get up, do not be afraid. And probably we are tempted to add, and I think it probably just got dropped, that Jesus probably said, even if you are afraid. Speak even if your voice shakes a little. And I am also convinced that, in that on that mountaintop, Jesus is not alone, but always teaches us, take people with you. We're in this together. And it was a formation, definitely, of one of the early small groups. <laughs> small groups, as we understand it from that famous quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. We get an idea of the power of people coming together and organizing and mobilizing and getting up and not being afraid. And we also get this idea of small groups from John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, who formed accountability cell groups called bands and societies, the basic formation of the church as we know today. I think it's all the same thing. I think it's about coming together. It's about remembering our ancestors and our traditions and about being able to be holy, listening together, silent, listen. We all need those quiet times, those mountain moments. And for me, as a Christian, it is good to be directed toward listening to Jesus, to sense his touch, and to hear his words. To be reminded that we don't go alone. Take your Peter, James, and John. Find your people. Currently, for me, it is being a part of something called Just Faith Ministries, a small group spiritual formation process that changes people so that they can change the world. And moms demand action for gun sense in America. These are my people. For me, these organizations are about, are about my faith, my public engagement, and my call to service. To be with other people who are compassionate and justice-seeking encourages me, and it helps me move off the mountain and into the world. So as we prepare this week, beginning with Ash Wednesday, to observe a holy Lent, it can be a time to be silent, 
listen. It can be a time to draw close, to feel the touch of Jesus, the assurance and the call. And it can be a time to practice, to engage, to move into the world to make it a better place for all of the children and for all who were once children. Every day discovering more of who we are, how we see ourselves, and how the world sees us. Get up. Don't be afraid. Listen. May we be safe. May we be loved. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Brian Adkins, Associate Pastor here. We'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins Street at the corner of Napa and Hopkins. And I'm Senior Pastor Kristen Stoneking. If you connect to our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Berkeley.